Thanks for joining us for the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast, a podcast to enrich your soul, where we have conversations with inspiring people about all things property, business and life. And now, the host of Small Talk Big Ideas, Ian Ugarte. Thanks for joining on the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. And today we are joined by Cindy O'Meara, someone who I met uh, quite a long while ago. And she, in herself, she's a nutritionist, had convinced me in a number of different ways by just talking simply. She, in this episode, actually convinced me and made my final decision to come off veganism and to go back into meat-eating products. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Anyway, Cindy O'Meara, I met you uh, nearly 10 years ago. Uh, and what stuck with me was that um, you started your presentation with basically saying I was becoming nutritionist and the person that was teaching me looked at well, like one of the most unhealthy people that I'd seen before. So do you want to explain what you do and who you are? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think I was brought up in a very different ha- household. Um, my dad was a pharmacist who became a chiropractor and my mum was a nurse who then just followed on with what was happening with chiropractic. And so we were brought up no medicines, no drugs, no doctors. If there was something wrong, we would just ha- be looked after by our father. Mm-hmm. And our mother fed us incredibly well. So I uh, had an adventurous beginning to life and decided that I wanted to go skiing in Colorado, but I didn't want to waste my year, so I went to university as well. And there I did pre-med because I knew I wanted to do something with health, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't want to be a chiropractor. you know. I didn't want to follow my father's footsteps. I didn't want to be a nurse. I wanted to do something different. So I did pre-med, and and during that time I did a a 12-month course in anthropology. So you had a few electives you could do, and everyone talked about this incredible professor by the name of Van Gerven. I thought, yeah, I'll go do his. Well, I had a year of ahas, and it was then that I rang my mum at the end of that first year of university, and I said, I want to be a dietitian. Is there somewhere in Victoria that I can be a dietitian? So she led me to Deakin University. I came home, went to Deakin University, finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition, and yes, one of my teachers was had a big fat tummy on him. Um, others didn't look that great. And everything that I was being taught was margarine, low fat, um, breakfast cereals and the dietary guidelines. And I thought, well, how did we survive as hunter-gatherers eating meat and veg and high-fat foods and, you know, all of these things? How do we survive as that, yet you're telling me that I should not be eating like our ancestors ate. Mm. So it made no sense to me. So I decided I wasn't going to become a dietitian. So I went back to university and did two more years of human anatomy, pathology, histology, embryology, parasitology, you name the ology, I did it. And at the end of it, I went, I know exactly what the human body needs. It needs our anthropological foods, the foods that we survived on for hundreds of thousands of years and generations before ultra-processed foods entered the human diet. And, um, you know, I was starting to see people with gluten intolerances. I was starting to see people with real health issues. So I just said, look, go back to real foods. And people started to get well. Um, So after that, you know, six years of university, I just called myself a nutritionist and started to consult as a nutritionist. And so um, are you suggesting that paleo is the way? Paleo is not the only way because when we, when, when you look at anthropology and you look at the diets that we adapted to, we adapted to a 95% carbohydrate diet 
that's the Lanny and the Danny of um, Papua New Guinea. But we also survived on a meat and dairy diet, which are the... And these people still exist today. The Himbas in Namibia in Africa. And I've made it my mission to go to these people and see what they ate and how they ate and how they survived. So we adapted on a high-carbohydrate diet and we adapted on a very high-fat diet. But it was an adaptation, and that adaptation wasn't genetic. It was more microbiology. So we have this incredible microbiome that, considering what you eat, they will adapt to what you're eating, um, and you will be able to digest those foods and live a very healthy life. But it's not just about food, remember. It's about lifestyle or a way of living. Because, I mean, isn't the thought process that if if I was a Westerner that went and had an Eastern um, upbringing then I'd be fine because I've created that. But some people think that your DNA allows you to be able to process foods in particular ways, like the Europeans olive oil and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, is, you're saying, and that was another point that I, I picked up really well where you gave an example of, um, you know, fish, all of a sudden there's mercury in the water and then mm. they've got mutations. But then you started showing a couple of the human things and people are going DNA. Mm. Like so, So you're saying that, as long as we've got the right gut health, you can you can survive on a healthy diet anywhere in the world. Well, there's, there's caveats in that. Because if we look at the Hindu, who were vegetarians, they lived on the equator. But the further you went away from the equator, um, more and more Indians would eat meat. So that's why in Indian culture you see a vegetarian diet, but you also see meat eaters. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on where you live on the planet. Yep. And what you've been able to adapt to. So if you consider the Danny and the Lanny of Papua New Guinea and you consider the the Hindus who lived on the equator in India, they were able to live on plant-based foods because those plant-based foods were there, plus they had a lot of sunshine. Mm -hmm. You go to the the Eskimos or the Inuits, there's, there's not a lot of sunshine in the winter. They live on blubber. They live on fats. There's not a lot of plant foods. So it really depends on how much sunshine you're getting. Because remember, you're a light being. (laughs) We really light beings. And so sunshine interacts with our mitochondria. Our mitochondria is what gives us energy. It's also what consumes the food that we're eating to produce not only energy, but carbon dioxide and low deuterium water. And these things are important for our health. So it depends on where you live on the planet, what food's available. But these days, we have a supermarket that's open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and food comes from all over the world. And our circadian rhythms and where we live on the planet is very confusing. So I'm very much, you live, we live in the subtropics of, of Australia, Um, We get tropical fruits in the summer. We get mangoes and papaya. In the winter, we get blueberries and raspberries, so we get our berries. We also get lots of root vegetables. So I eat a diet that's suitable to where I live. So uh, there's cattle here. They're coming from here. You can get kangaroo if you want. There's sheep. All of these animals can live here. Are they an Australian meat? No, but we are Westerners that have come, we're probably English people, you're Spanish, you know, that have come from different areas. So we can adapt. We can adapt and we adapt through our microbiome. Can I take an Eskimo and put him on the equator in India? How long for the adaption? Yeah, well... That's a question that's answerable? Yes, it is. And they're actually doing this study and they're doing it with people called the Hudsons. 
So the Hadsas live in Tanzania, and there's about 300 of them that still live their hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So they eat um, anything from a small rodent to a primate. So they'll eat a lot of meat, and they eat a very tuberous vegetable, and 30% of their diet is almost honey because there's a lot of bees around. So if you look at that diet, it's very different to somebody like a, an Inuit that we're going to bring down. So when we, when we take an Inuit or a Hadza and we move them into New York and they're living not in nature, the sunshine is different, um, the weather, the temperature is different, um, so all of these things are differing. And if we give them a Western diet, they will get sick. But what they're doing right now is that they want to bring, and I think this is wrong, yeah. but they want to take the Hudsons to New York and feed them, I can't remember exactly what they're doing, but maybe feed them the diet that they have in, in, um, in Tanzania and see how they cope with the New York lifestyle. Ethically, I don't know if they're going to get away with that. But it sounds yeah, absurd it that does. they would do that. But if we look at the Himbas in, in Namibia, so the Himbas came from an, near the equator where it was tropical. Mm. But they were moved, for some reason, about 600 years ago, they had to move south. And while they were probably eating plant foods then, their diet had to change when they got into the deserts. Which it's a sandy and a stony desert in Namibia. The only thing that survives is animals. Yep. Humans can't survive on plants. So the humans have domesticated the animals, so goat, cattle, uh, bison, deer. They'll, they'll live on any of that stuff, not really bison, probably um, water buffalo. Mm -hmm. So they'll live on that or the produce that those animals give them, which is milk, which they'll then ferment. So we can adapt, but can we adapt to ultra-processed foods? And that experiment is being done right now, and we're not. Mm. You know, we have chronic disease. We, you know, if you look at the 60s, when we didn't have the ultra-processed foods, like I was brought up in the 60s, there was no we McDonald's. We used to open a, milk, open a milk bottle and it had the fat. The fat on top. And it was a glass bottle, <laughs> yep. and the dairy used to deliver it to our front door. I remember it. We'd take the silver, and I remember it being silver, not gold, but the silver tube of it, there'd be this much cream on the top, and that's what we consumed. Mm. Um, and so our body can adapt. It can adapt to different foods. But these ultra-processed foods, in since the 60s, um, our chronic, our chronic um, disease rate has gone from... 2 to 4% of the whole population with a chronic disease to now our kids, between 38 and 40% of our, chronic, our kids now have chronic disease. One, two, three. And if you get to 60, 80% of the population has a chronic disease. It's not, this is not rocket science. This no. is like you're feeding them the wrong food. They can't adapt to this ultra-processed foods as opposed to if I'm eating a plant-based diet with a little bit of a rodent here and there and I move away from the equator and I have to eat more animals, my body will adapt to that over time. Right. But very quickly as opposed to the way we're seeing ultra-processed foods not adapting to I it. I mean, the basis of what you've been saying with anything is that if you're healthy, then you'll survive. And, you know, I listened to a radio interview that you were talking about um, COVID and corona and um, that your, your message in that whole interview was just be healthy mm. and you'll, you'll be fine. Mm. So... The basis of, especially with corona, you've got a lot of ageing population that are dying because they're not getting the nutrition they should be getting. Um, and I know 
<laughs> former plumber. <laughs> I didn't get sick for about 10 years after stopping plumbing. I think I built up an immunity to bacteria and how my body would handle bacteria. I was eating healthy, obviously, um, mm. and still continue to do so. But is that something that you do? Do you develop this immunity to be able to, for your body to be able to push out bacteria and say, no, this is not the place for you? Yes. So we cannot live in a sterile environment. So if we have a look at the genetics, so we're about 10% human genes. And then we have bacteria, viruses. Like where there's about... I think I've seen the number at 380 trillion viruses live within our body. They live within cells. They cannot live without a cell. Mm -hmm. They must live in a host and, and we harbour them. So they're called a viron. And we have parasites and we have all of these things that make up the rest of our genes. So 90% we are microbes in genetics and 10% we're a human. So we're, a, we're about 20,000 genes. Our, our earthworm has 100,000 right. genes because they don't depend on all the bugs and the bacteria like we have to. So when, um, you know, you're healthy and you haven't been exposed to Roundup, which is, um, is glyphosate. Glyphosate is um, a known antibiotic. It's patented antibiotic since 2010. So it's normally a herbicide. But in 2010, uh, Monsanto painted it as a broad-spectrum antibiotic. So when you're not exposed to this, which most people are, they mm. have no hope of not being exposed to it, then you are not destroying your bugs that you need. When you're in the mud and in the dirt and growing your own foods and outside in nature and hiking and swimming in the ocean, not chlorine pool, when you're doing all those things, you're exposed to a biome. And, and that means you're constantly being... I'm, we're being exposed to each other's biome right now. Uh, so whenever you get in co close contact with someone, you do. If you live with someone, we notice that the biome, the microbiome, starts to look the same. Mm -hmm. And when you destroy or you have something called dysbiosis then other bugs are able to get in and more parasitic bugs are able to get in. While you're healthy and your microbiome's healthy, you can resist all of these things that are out there that are causing um, you know, diseases uh, amongst the population, and these are called communicable diseases. Yep. But then there are also lifestyle or chronic diseases, and they are based on the, the, the way you live and not doing the things that you should be doing. So my thing is strong microbiome. Yep. Eating the right foods, not only for the microbiome, but for you. And by doing those two things, you can be the healthiest you can possibly be. So it's a philosophy called vitalism. And vitalism is opposed to mechanism. So vitalism is where I look at you and I don't look at your heart and go, oh, your heart's not doing too well. We need to work on your heart. Here, take this medication or let me put a stent in. So that's mechanism where I don't care about the rest of your body. I'm just caring about that heart. Mm. Vitalism is where I go okay, you've got a bit of a ticker problem there. If it's an emergency situation, let's go to hospital, let's fix it right away. But then moving forward, what do we need to do in order to make sure that you don't have another heart attack or have another heart issue? We're going to look at everything. We're going to look at your microbiome. We're going to look at your connection to people. We're going to look at the amount of sun you're having, the amount of exercise you're getting, what's in your home. Is there mould in your home? So we're going to look at everything, and that's vitalism. So both are required. Mechanisms required for emergency, and that's what the medical um, system is, is built on, is emergency care. Mm -hmm. Vitalism is based on prevention, making sure we're healthy. So if I have been in an accident and I'm bleeding profusely, I don't want that doctor to ask me about my nutrition. <laughs> 
I don't want them to ask me about my life, so I'm going to say, you stitch me up, you know, get me out of here, and then I'll let my innate intelligence heal that wound once you've stitched me up. So both are required, but what I think has happened is that we've got this huge shift to everything is mechanistic. And no one is talking about vitalism and the important... Well, not nobody. There are people out there talking about it. I was actually listening to these two medical doctors today. Um, They're in the US and they're just saying, we need to be outside. We need to get everybody else's biome. We need to be in the soil, in the dirt. And I just went... Even our medical doctors are beginning to realise, and these were these were emergency doctors, even they're beginning to realise we cannot continue down the lifestyle we are now doing. We have to change. We have to move. We have to eat good foods. We have to have a healthy biome in order to not be in the situation we were with COVID-19, where everyone was locked down, even the healthy, yep. you know. And, and we knew that the comorbidities were causing people to fall to COVID-19 as opposed to healthy people, you know. And less sunlight too. I mean, people being stuck in lockdown, most people saying, oh, well, I can't go outside. Yeah. Well, no, you can. You've got a backyard. Um, it's interesting because we were talking about the biome and how um, someone else's could affect you in a bad way, um, mm. but you can eventually get used to it and it mingles. Uh, so if you take so having been a plumber on the Hawkesbury River for many, many years to water access properties, you've got Scotland Island and Dangar Island. So you've got people that have bought these multi-million dollar properties on the water, yep. always sick. Their kids are always sick because all the septic tanks up the hill are all flowing down past their properties. So the bacteria that comes out of people are flowing down the hill and, and they're getting captured in that. Dogs are getting sick and all of that sort of stuff as well. Now you mm. have a pretty successful documentary yeah. Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I was um, online last night and I noticed that it was five years ago that I was in the US um, interviewing people for my documentary, What's With Wheat? Mm. And the reason why this documentary came about was, like, I've eaten well all my life. I, you know, I was brought up with a mother that cooked from scratch, a father that was, you know, like I knew how to do it. I did become a vegetarian for some time and I have to tell you that that was probably the unhealthiest time of my life and it was 16 years. And I didn't see it while I was in the middle of it. I saw that in hindsight. Um, And I wasn't a vegan. I was vegetarian, so it's a difference there. So, you know, I've eaten well. I make everything from scratch. I buy organic. I do everything that I'm meant to be doing. And I noticed um, I was hitting my 50s. And a lot of people say, oh, Cindy, you're just going into menopause. That's what happens. But I don't take that. (laughs) So I was heading into my 50s. I started to gain weight. So I'd probably put on nine kilos over two years. And I'd never put on weight before. And you hadn't changed eating habits or anything like that? I hadn't changed anything. Everything was still the same. So I was putting on weight. I had a really bad back for about 18 months. Now, my husband's a chiropractor, and it was just constantly aching. My right hip... You literally married your father. Yeah, 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 I did. I married my... Yeah, I have three generations of chiropractors in my my family. So my father, my sister and my husband, and now my daughter, and my soon-to-be son-in-law. Right. (laughs) So it's a very big part of our life. So I I had right hip pain. When I'd get up, I'd be in so much pain until I warmed up. I was getting tightness in my throat, foggy. Really, I wasn't thinking as clearly as I I had thought. And I thought, right, it's got to be food. I better do an elimination. And it took me, you know, 18 months to two years to go, it's time. You need to do something. Um, And so what I did was I went on basically a diet of meat and greens. 
So very small amounts of meat. So maybe 100 grams at, at lunch and at dinner. My breakfast was usually a papaya and an apple. And then I would have lots of greenery. So that was it. And so you took out nightshades, you took Everything. out all of those. Yep. Everything you could possibly, grains, legumes, um, even eggs I took out. I took out dairy. I took out, um, you know, root vegetables, everything like that and just made it really simple. And and when someone is really allergic to something, they usually do lamb and applesauce. I think they're the two things that people can eat is lamb and applesauce. So I did a little bit more than that. And in the first week, I lost four and a half kilos. Now, that cannot be fat. Maybe a little bit can be fat, but it's water. So that's inflammation. So all of a sudden I went, wow, I've been inflamed, you know. And then in the next two weeks I lost another five kilos. So that was fat. So you can lose... two years of weight. Two years of weight in in three weeks. So the first week and then... So in three weeks I lost basically nine, just over nine kilos in weight. No more bad back, no more sore hip, no more tightness in the throat. Unbelievable clarity of mind. Like it was, it was like... I remember the day it happened, day 10 of this protocol, and it was like I was one with the universe. And I know that sounds funny, but I... DMT release in your body. It was just, (laughs) it was incredible. It was just like this. I kept looking at the sky and looking at the mountains because I was in the mountains. The sky I've ever seen. Exactly. (laughs) The mountains were so clear and it just, it, it was weird. It was a weird feeling, but it was a really good feeling. So, especially after being foggy for so long. So then at the end of that three weeks, I, I started to eat food again, slowly introducing things back into the diet. Everything was going swimmingly, no weight gain, no inflammation, no nothing. And then I was at Woodford um, and, you know, I prepared my breakfast and my lunch, but we stayed a little bit later and I needed dinner. So I thought I'll go to Gopal's, like the vegetarian um, restaurant that's there. And I thought oh, I'll just have legumes and, and, and wheat. So legumes is not something that I would normally eat, but I thought, well, I'm not going to eat anything else. I didn't know what was made, so I did that. The next day, sore back, sore hip, foggy brain, a kilo almost, 900 One grams kilo. in weight. in weight, And you can't put that much on. No. You, and especially with what I ate, you cannot put that on. So I knew it was water weight. I knew I was inflamed. So I questioned what I'd eaten, and the only thing I could see that was probably something I would have eaten was wheat. So I went, okay, I won't eat it. I'll test it again. So a couple of weeks later, test again, same thing happened. And this was organic. This is organic wheat I tested. So then I I went, what's wrong with wheat? And so then from there, I listened for two years and I read read papers and listened to document, listened to not documentaries at the time, but um, podcasts and interviews. So one that came out was the Gluten Summit. And I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this, see what it's about, and learned about a whole bunch of people that have been talking about this for quite a few years. So I thought, they're the ones I want to interview. Mm-hmm. So when I, my husband said to me, um, you're going to write a book? And I went, no, I don't really want to write a book. He says, why don't you do a documentary? So he gave me a budget, and I went to America, and I interviewed all these people. So like, you paid for it yourself? We paid for it ourselves. Right. Completely, yeah. And you didn't know whether it was going to come out, do anything, you just thought, I'm going to put it together. I'm going to put it together because I felt that people needed to know what I had learnt about agriculture, about glyphosate, about Roundup, about fructose malabsorption, about gluten intolerance, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, how celiacs has increased. I wanted the world to see what was happening and Mm. no one had done a documentary on it that I could see. So I thought, well, I'll put it all together. And I'm someone who... 
I don't so much go down too many rabbit holes, but I look at other people who have gone down the rabbit hole, get their summaries, and then I'm able to put it in a very, very basic way so that people can understand it. And, you know, I had incredible people. I had Dr Natasha Campbell McBride. And I remember when I created the documentary or wanted to create the documentary, I did a video and I put it out Christmas Eve to all the people I wanted to interview. I reckon in 24 hours, four women that I wanted all said yes. I then told the men that I wanted that these women have said yes, would you like to be on board? (laughs) It was on. Bang, they were on board. <laughs> so that was the Christmas. And then in April, we were, I'd already interviewed Vandina Shiva from India. She came to Australia. I've, I hunted them all down and figured out where they were going to be. So she came to Australia. Joel Salatin, who's a farmer, he came to Australia. So I interviewed him. Um, and then Natasha Campbell McBride from England came to Australia. So the three that were um, where I might not have been and been able to get the other interviewers... I was able to get those three in Australia. Then the rest we went to America. I found a summit that they were speaking at, which is in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And then from Austin, Texas, I went to Virginia and then up to Boston where I wanted to interview um, Alicia Fasano, but I didn't get Alicia. He just did not answer anything that I sent. And I also wanted Stephanie Seneff, who was the expert on Roundup. So um, I missed Alicio and I missed Kelly Brogan. Those two just... Kelly missed my interview, which was so sad because I just love her. Um, But I got her partner, Saya Jai. So I got these incredible people who knew so much about wheat and, and agriculture and what had happened to our wheat. Because, you know, when I did anthropology and I did the agricultural revolution... We were eating wheat, you know, 17 to 23,000 years ago. The Australian Aboriginal people have eaten grain, they reckon, for 100,000 years, um, if we can take them back to that, um, where they didn't eat so much wheat but they ate a grain. So nadu they ate. Um, and nadu, if you eat it raw, will kill you. Yep. But if you prepare it properly, it is something very nourishing. It's an interesting last meal, if you got it wrong. Um, so <laughs> Burke and Wills got it wrong. Yes. That was their last meal. Yes. Nadu. Um, so <laughs> does that mean, I mean, the whole Kellogg's thing and, you know, the most important meal of the day mm. was a wheat-driven mm-hmm. um, process to be able to get more of their cereal out there. Like, d- does that mean that we shouldn't be eating wheat for breakfast or it's just the wrong makeup? It's genetically modified. No, it's it's actually, well, I think they're working on GM wheat, but it's not genetically modified yet. So it's hybridised. So back in the 80s, there was something called the Green Revolution. And the Green Revolution was there was starving countries like Pakistan and India, and they figured out how to um, shrink the wheat height so it was easily mechanised as far as, you know, um, harvesters and things like that could easily harvest this They're wheat. all within a certain range. Yeah, yep. all within a certain range. So they, they call and it was called triticum estivum. So if we look back at ancient wheat, we look at uh, emma wheat or einkorn, and it's not corn, it's K-O-R-N, it was just the name of it. We can see spelt, we can see kamut and korazan. So we see all these magnificent wheats that have gone throughout time. And then it was manipulated, hybridised, um, to do a small, like it was a smaller stalk and with more grain on it. Is that not 
modification of its genes? Like if you're it, taking the smallest of every crop and putting it together again so that it can produce, are you not modifying it? In it's it's hybridisation that m may or may not have happened naturally. Right. It was a Japanese wheat that they bought in and they did it with spelt. They put the two of those together. Right. Okay. So hybridisation is different to GM. Right. So GM is when we take the genes of one species and we put it into the genes of another species. Let me give you an example. So at the moment, there's this company in Boston that is telling everybody that it can synthetically make natural vanilla flavouring. So the way it does it is that it takes the gene of a vanilla and gives it to a microbe and then what happens is this microbe is then fermented on a substrate, so it could be sugar, it could be anything, and then it produces natural vanilla flavouring. Now, think about the vanilla bean. It has so much nutrition in it. There's a reason why we have vanilla, whereas this is just flavour because it's smell. Yeah. It's all about smell. It's not about, olf it's not about taste. It's about olfactory. So everybody thinks they're getting natural vanilla flavouring, but it's being made by a, by a genetically modified microbe. Now, my, my question is this. So if that microbe escapes, like we know COVID did, we know COVID didn't come from a bat. Mm -hmm. We know that it came from laboratory experimentation. And, and that, like, if anybody den denies that, yeah. you just have to listen to the virologists. They'll tell you. So it's escaped and it's caused havoc in the world. What if this microbe escapes and gets into my microbiome? Am I just going to smell like vanilla? <laughs> Do I shit vanilla? Am <laughs> <laughs> well, I shit smell like vanilla? <laughs> or will it create absolute havoc in my microbiome? We are playing with fire. Yeah. And this hybridisation was about throwing more chemicals onto the, the wheat, which we then ate. Um, even though they say, oh, we rested it and it's at, um, you know, billion parts per million, or oh, sorry, parts per billion or parts per million. But then they started to um, desiccate it. So desiccation is that they want to kill the, the wheat grain so it's easier harvesting and there's less riffraff, basically. So I've got lots of grain. Um, and so they put Roundup on it. And that Roundup, is there a week before harvest? And, of course, it's going to go into our system. Remember I said to you that it's a broad-spectrum antibiotic. It's patented broad-spectrum antibiotic. So you consume this breakfast for cereals because it's been found in cereals, the Roundup, glyphosate. You have it for bread. You have your um, tart or your sandwich or your pasta or whatever it is that you're consuming, and you are continuously putting an antibiotic into your system. You're destroying the microbiome. And therefore you can't, you know, you can't digest foods. And you wonder why you've got a dairy intolerance, a wheat intolerance, a, a nightshade intolerance, a salicylate intolerance. <laughs> or I used to get phone calls and my septic stinks. And, uh, that, and I'd, um, the first question I'd ask is, oh. is anyone on antibiotics? Because you've just killed all your bacteria. Oh, yes, exactly. You know, and it goes yeah. straight through the system into the septic, kills yeah. everything, and that's when the smell starts because there's not bacteria eating down the smells. See? It's just so simple, it isn't is, it? It is. We, we actually went, Christina, I and a mate, went to um, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand last year f uh, for to, to look at sex trafficking and how we could help out because I'm not a fan of donating money mm. to, a, to a CEO to make multis, right? So we mm. wanted to go to the places. There was this little tiny town that we went to and they'd created, and this was 
we worked out that if you take someone out of the sex trafficking industry, they'll just put someone in behind them. So the idea is to stop them before they get to Bangkok or wherever. So we found this little tiny town and they'd created and, and bought um, their little farmhouse and they had the kids go there on the way home. So they're very poor kids, so they give them somewhere to stop so they can get food in the afternoon and they can play on the computers and they do all of that sort of stuff. And then, um, you know, I love the fact that they're grooming them not to go there. They're grooming mm. them to actually do more study and keep them. So they then started, there was three, it was in the middle of three villages, and so they started talking to these villages. Now, right next door to this block of land that they built all this stuff on was Montos. They owned all the crops for miles and miles and miles. Mm. And so they went to the three villages and there's this young guy that was so driven. He's a little scientist, mm. right? This little Chinese scientist. So he went to all the three and he said, how about we, you know, we've got some land over here. We could start farming this, but we don't want to use chemicals. And they'd already been indoctrinated to need chemicals to be able to kill weeds and whatever. He said, no, no, we can do it without it. So they started doing businesses based around silkworms and, um, you know, and the colour dyeing, there was only one colour he couldn't get quite right, which I think was yellow, but every other dye was a natural, either was coming off a bush or a tree or a plant and they mm. were producing these beautiful scarves and stuff. So anyway, um, it turns out that where they started farming, they um, managed within two years to do triple the amount of crops that um, they were doing with the chemicals. Mm. And Montos actually eventually um, sold out and moved away, um, oh. which was incredible. Like it was something that no one had ever seen coming because even the overspray was still going on to the yeah. crops over yeah. here. Um, but interestingly enough, the average wage for all the people in those towns had gone up by 15 or 17% in two years mm. like just by doing mm. these amazing things because there's something to be said about the Big M and how they control chemicals. Monsanto, Bayer, DuPont, uh, Gates. I'm sorry, but he's a corporation. He's down there. He... I, I, you know, there's that, that piece in his TED Talk that says that if we vaccinate the whole world, we can reduce the amount of people mm. that are going to populate the world. Mm. Isn't vaccination mm. about actually creating more life? And mm -hmm. I, I Immunity. And so you've just got to wonder, why would someone of such knowledge calibre and expertise make a sentence like that and not rebut it in any way. Everyone's posting it. There's not one time where he's come back and said, well, what I meant to say was... He hasn't said it. Mm. It's scary. Well, that's what he wants. So I, well, that's what I see that he wants. Like, I can't tell you what the boy wants, but I just see by his actions and I see what he's doing in every country around the world. And in actual fact, Kenya has just recently said, we will not be part of that vaccination program um, that you've been doing in Africa. And the, and the, I think it's a president of Kenya. I'm, I don't know if he's a prime minister or a, a president. He is actually asking the rest of the African nations to stop this. That's their trial base. That's where they send the stuff to trial to see yeah. how many die. Yeah. Or sterilise. Yeah. yeah and, and there is proof of this. And in India, you know, they had the same problems with... Um, you know, women that were taking the HPV. I like, and we could go on and on about yeah. them. But if you look at these corporations, and I, and I watch Robert Kennedy. I really like him. He's an environmental lawyer yep. who takes on Dupont, who takes on Bayer and Monsanto, and he takes on Merck for their lying on the on the inserts of drugs and vaccines. And and I really follow him because, and I've been following him for four or five years, and. His love of humanity mm -hmm. is what shines through. The others, I don't see their love of humanity. We know that 
Roundup and glyphosate is a, a broad-spectrum um, antibiotic. It's causing soil um, death. Basically, is no longer soil, it's dirt. Yep. So it's causing that, which then doesn't allow plants to grow properly. They're lacking in minerals. They're lacking in three incredible amino acids, tyrosine, tryptophan and phenylalanine. Uh, and that knocks on to us where we're not making our neurotransmitters and they're not able to think clearly or not be able, have depressive thoughts or anxiety. They're the thoughts that people are having. And when you have a look at the amount of people that are now have those, you know, that tendency, one in four of the adult population. And we've, I just heard of a young 16-year-old boy who's taken his life. What makes a 16-year-old boy take his life? Mm. I, I don't understand why we can't see that these corporations have... Have no, and they're, they're shown to be lying. They've shown to have fraud. They're shown that they don't care about humanity and and what's happening. But when I see an environmental lawyer like Robert Kennedy doing what he's doing, I just I follow him. I listen to him. I don't listen to these guys because I, they haven't shown me that they're 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 really caring about us. Yeah. And because they're not caring about us, then we have to care about ourselves. I believe we need to become educated. We need to know what is right and what is wrong. And you don't have to be fully educated. Like, this is 40 years of work that you're hearing sprouting out of my mouth. Yeah. You don't need that. You just need to know where do I buy good food? How do I prepare it? You know, so I need, I call it the QPS, quality, preparation, and season. So what's in season? Can I grow my own? Like, I have this course called The Incredible Edible Garden because I figured it's not just about nutrition, but it's where your food's coming from. Who's growing your food? How can you trust that person to say the right thing? I was driving along a road recently and I came across somebody who was selling apples. On the side of the road. A little old man yep. selling apples on the side of the road. And I, I said to him, do you grow these? And he said, yep. And I said, uh, is it organic or free of... Yep, yep. So... I buy them, trusting him. I buy them. I get them in the um, the van because we're in a van. I get them in the van and they're bloody coded <laughs> with the number four. Can you grow codes on trees? Oh, <laughs> they're coded with the number four. So they've got the little plastic um, thing on there, which means I know that that's conventional and they've used chemicals. If it's got a nine, because I know my yeah. codes and things like that. So here I was seeing a little old man, trusting him, should never have trusted him. Yep. I should have said, well, what, why has it got number four on it? You know? <laughs> so it, it is about, for me, I trust my local farmers, you know, and, you know, I got a hell of a lot of abuse on um, social media recently saying, you know, most of my money I spend on food and I buy organic and I do that. And, and, and I was saying, why should the healthy be penalised for what the sick have done. That mm -hmm. They've chosen to eat ultra-processed foods, and I might get hell on this, but they've chosen to eat ultra-processed food, they've chosen to eat, um, you know, drink and smoke and do things like that. I'm not talking about the people who have eaten well and have cancers or things like that. There are other reasons for that. These are the people who have defiantly done this, know they should be eating better, um, but they're not. And so they have comorbidities. They have heart disease and metabolic disease and they have diabetes, but they still choose to consume the same amounts of foods. And we are being penalised because of these people. Yep. Well, somebody said this to me the other day. So should everybody be eating healthy food for the greater good, Cindy? <laughs> and I went, that's a good statement. <laughs> that is a good statement. If you want, if 9 billion people have to be vaccinated by Gates or 8 billion have to be vaccinated by Gates for the greater good, 
Well, why can't we re reverse that and say, let's get rid of all the ultra-processed foods out there, all that food that's made with genetically modified microbes. I told you about one. Yep. That was vanilla flavouring. Mm. Citric acid, xanthan gum, um, legohemoglobin, which is in fake meats, which makes it bleed. Um, um, stevia. Even stevia is now being made by a genetically modified microbe. And I could go on and on and on mm. with the amount of microbes that are being genetically modified in order to make a food additive that goes into our food and we wonder why we're sick. You know? Isn't it funny you get a list of all the numbers that they put on you know, the end of preservatives and whatever mm. and there's just not one safe one. There's just not mm. one safe one. And so the, you know, the outcome is absolutely absurd. Um, you just talked then about, um, and like I, I remember watching a documentary where this um, scientist opened up a cabinet, full cabinet this size, and there was 500 different flavourings mm. of cherry, mm. you know, mm. and you just go, how much money gets spent? You, the, the ridiculous thing is that for you and I, Christine, to go shopping cost an absolute fortune comparative to being able to go down to one of the burger places and get they're doing a burger for a dollar fifty at the moment. How, like, how can they possibly do that for a dollar fifty and be have any nutrition in it whatsoever? Um, That's why we're in the crisis of everybody's scared of you know viruses and you know it's it was SARS and MERS and, um, and Zika and and now it's COVID. You know we're going through COVID nineteen and I just. That's why we're in this crisis. And a dollar fifty is not the true value. That there is no way that can be the true value, because if you're eating a dollar fifty hamburger, then you're going to have to spend money in the Medicare system, and the PBS, which is the Prescribed Benefits Scheme or whatever it's called, which costs billions. Costs money, yeah. It costs the taxpayers. So, if I pay ten dollars for a piece of meat. And my veggies cost me $2. But if I've grown them, it's just been my, my you know, seedlings that I've bought mm -hmm. or seeds that I've bought for a couple of dollars. Yep. So let's say my meal costs me $10. Let's just say. The true cost of that is the true cost of that. And then I don't have to use the Medicare system or the PBS. I am healthy. I'm eating the right foods. I'm doing the right things. I'm getting out in the sunlight. I'm drinking good water. Yes, I have a water filter system, but I don't buy water in plastic. It's it, it's absolutely bizarre. So Christine and I were early on in organic produce as a shop, as a business. Yeah. So we were one of the first organic shops in um, at the time in Sydney, well, north of Sydney. So we were there before it became trendy. <clears throat> and so we're tra trailblazing. <laughs> we used to have a doctor that would walk down. There were people that come in and they'd buy only apples or only bananas or only tomatoes. Right, and um, we had this doctor that would walk down, and he would have been 65, 70, and he looks so unhealthy, grade. Mm. And you know, we've done iridology, so we could from a distance sort of see things. And he had this um, bulging oh, thing. Wide. He, he had the white over the top of the oh. iris, which means that you basically your whole circulation system is closing down, and mm. there's a huge amount of salt issues, sodium rings, and going on in there. He would buy apples. He'd buy one or two apples a day and he'd go back to mm. work again. And um, Christine stopped him one day and said, well, why? Why do you guys? You know, in my entire life, I always remember climbing an apple tree when I was young and the smell of that apple. And I can't oh. get the smell of the apple from the ones in the store. Your ones smell like apples. Wow. Said, wow. 
insightful and, yeah. and amazing. Yeah. Um, so in one of my blue sky moments was in the middle of a Vipassana, it was like day six or seven in the, in the silent meditation, and I came out and the sky was blue. And, you know, as you know, you do eat a vegetarian meal, you're basically fasting, you know, you do morning and lunchtime and you're basically fasting. So I came out of that as a, um, out of that one as a vegetarian. Like I thought, oh, this blue sky moment had all, it all interacted into one whole thing. And then, you know, you then start watching documentaries about animal production and, you know, caged chickens and all of that sort of stuff. And so then I just went from vegetarian to vegan it was about two years ago and I've started to get more and more tired and I'm on the cusp of going you know speaking to a friend who went vegan and you know he he's a a bodybuilder style guy likes to be really fit he struggled to put on any bulk mm. um but yet you've got these documentaries with you know heavy lifters and heavyweight people and Schwarzenegger saying that I you know vegan's the way to go and um What's happening? Mm. Why am I getting tired? Yeah. So remember I did anthropology. So there's not one civilization that ever survived veganism if they ever tried it. I don't know if they ever tried it. But there, vegetarianism, we talked about the Hindus on the equator, um, living the life outside. They seem to be able to survive it. They survived it for 5,000 years. Whereas there is no history on vegans. There's no history that a culture ever survived on plant foods alone. Yes, they survived on a large amount of plant foods, but they always fell back on, you know, meats. And especially, or animal produce, and especially, you know, like you think of a cyclone coming through and uh, wiping out, let's say in Papua New Guinea, wiping out completely everything that was available. The only thing they could probably could get was fish and rodents that were still running around. So they had to consume meat mm. at some point in a greater amount than the 90% that they did. So that's the first thing, is I always look at an historical perspective. The second thing with vegan diet, and I doubt that you would be doing this, but many vegan diets are based on plastic meats, plastic cheeses, plastic milks, plastic everything. And if you read the ingredients, there might be 2% almond in there, in the almond milk, and the rest is fillers and stabilizers and thickeners and colors and flavors. You know, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. And if we look at vegan meat, we see a bunch of chemicals. We see ligahemoglobin, which is that genetically modified a microbe that has had the genes of a soya plant thrown into it, which gives it this thing called a heme group, which makes it bloody. It's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I find the whole thing just ridiculous. And they're saying we're saving the planet because we're saving animals, we're saving the planet, but you're not saving yourselves. Therefore, to me, you as a human being will physically and mentally reduce and not be able to really change what, what is happening out there. So I interviewed this beautiful lady recently, Lyra Keith. She was a vegan for 20 years and she said no vegan survives unless they, they cheat. She said, right. yeah, that's what she said. They have to cheat to survive. If you that, that was the interesting thing with my mate because, <laughs> you know, he was promoting himself. He had a YouTube channel and whatever. And, geez, there was a whole world of hate when he finally came out. He goes, I'm telling you guys, like, the only way I could do this is by cheating. cheating. I had yeah. to do stuff. And I don't think there should be any hate there. I think it should be, here's a lesson. And I have another friend who's an athlete who's a vegan. And she has to now start eating meat. She is breaking down completely. Mm. And she says, but I'm the vegan athlete. And I went, well, you're going to have to tell 
the truth. You're going to have to tell them that this is what is happening and that you had to go back to meat and um, or some sort of produce, you know, um, and it could be good clean dairy, it could be meat, it could be fish, it could be mince. And it was like me as a vegetarian. It wasn't until I became pregnant that I had a craving for meat. Christine the same. And I didn't even know I was pregnant. I just had this craving for a sausage. (laughs) It's just like there was this sausage and I'm like going, oh my gosh, why am I crazy at the moment that I want that, you know? It was then that I went, ah. I found out I was pregnant about 10 days after that episode of me craving meat. And and I went, ah, this is what my body wants. So I started to eat mince and fish and chicken and I got back into it. And then in hindsight, I can look back and see what had happened to my health. Mm. No, I had no cycle for many years. Um, I did put on some weight at that point. Um, I started to get glasses and, you know... I. I no matter what you say on social media, someone's always got to have a comeback, always if it was you being yeah. a vegetarian. I'm like going, what, you know my body better than me? You know my eyesight better than me? You know my family history better than me? But I see that as that happened at 19. So I'd been a vegetarian from about 14 to 19, so about five years, and I was starting, and then my cycle stopped and, you know, all of that started. So... When I hear this, and I hear this so often, and as Lyra Keith said, they have to cheat. And I said, but you didn't cheat, did you? She said, I'd cheat every year. Once a year she said I'd cheat. And then at the end of 20 years, I realised I couldn't do this any longer. I have physical and mental health issues that I can't reverse. And I now, and now she starts to eat it. And then she goes back, to, she goes back in history again. So she's from America. She said the bison ran throughout the 14 states of America that we now grow wheat for and corn and soya. And that wheat, corn and soya is then taken to Highway 5 where there's the biggest meat works you've ever seen, like as far as um, force feeding the meat. Yep. Why, why can't I think of the word? Um, oh, someone will be saying it outside in TV land. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, it's a force feeding of the, where they feed them grain. And cattle don't eat grain. They just, they, they're That's not, just to plump them. It's to plump them up. And it's because we've got so much excess in the 14 states of the US. We move it across to California. We, we in a feedlot. We feed the cattle in a feedlot and with antibiotics because they get sick. Um, and then we kill them. And then we eat that food where that's not what they eat. They eat grass. So she says if we could just put the bison back, um, we wouldn't need to feed these, be- these beasts um, the corn and the soya, and which has all got genetically modified and all got Roundup on it, then we consume that, you know. Uh, it, it, it's like this vicious cycle. Yeah. So to me, uh, we're very lucky in Australia. We have a lot of cattle that are grass-fed. They don't need to be fed a lot. It's just money. It's all about money. So we can buy cattle that has not been in a feedlot. We can buy cattle that's not had, um, you know, chemicals and hormones sprayed on it. We can buy a quarter of a cow or half a cow and get it cut down for us organically and put it into the freezer out there. And I mean, it's not great to freeze stuff, but at least you've got something that's organic. It's a start. You can plant veggies in your garden. Yeah. Um, You can, you could have What if I bought seedlings that have been grown? Yours look amazing. I looked at them as I walked in and that was my first thing. I went straight for all the, the, I was almost going to eat my way through it. (laughs) If you didn't come out, I would have eaten my way through it. (laughs) 
Um, what if I bought seedlings that are from Bunnings and you know yeah. that they've got some spray on it? Yeah. Still okay? It's better than nothing. Because then what you're doing is you're not spraying anything else on it. You can um, do a course or learn something in a book that says get a little bit bit of biodegradable soap and a little bit of oil in water and spray them and it'll get rid of the aphids and um you know or you could do chili and onions so there's a, there's there's sprays out there that work i do it all the time mm-hmm. because i grow my food yep. but i'm not going to spray with anything that's going to change or alter the soil bacteria so look if you start there that's great but you know what happens is that that'll go to a seed head and if that patch of land that you have that is constantly your veggie garden it'll go to a seed head those seeds will go into the ground and with the right conditions they'll grow again and all of a sudden you have these lettuces and corianders and onions i've got a million onions because all my onions went to this big purple bulb which was all the seeds and then they flew all over the garden and now i've got spring onion everywhere it's just incredible (laughs) like corianders just everywhere my all my lettuces i've seeded nothing this year nothing it's all just popped just out of the ground. Popped out of the ground. I always love that. Compost. You can put compost on the ground. Oh, yeah. Tomatoes grow for sure. Watermelon and tomato grows every and time. And pumpkin. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cucumber. Um, two questions. Pescatarian, like, you know, seafood, is that enough? Well, let's look at, I always look at civilization. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the Catavas. So the Catavas live in Papua New Guinea. They eat mangoes and, you know, all the tropical fruits and all the taros and the canners and sweet potato and things like that and fish and coconut. So they don't really have a lot of animals that run around that they eat. So they're, they're fishermen and they're pescatarian. And they can handle that. And they can handle it. And that means I can adapt to that. You could adapt to that pescatarian. Yeah. And you can have, you know, like I have animals. So I have cows and I have chickens. And I've had two cows die that died of tick fever because we don't, you know, we don't do anything to our animals except keep them as healthy as we can. And obviously, you know, something happened and I lost my bull and I lost my black cow. I cried. I sat there stroking them as they died and and one had just died as I got to him because we'd lost him, we couldn't find him and we're on 60 acres and there was a lot of tall grass because of the rain. And I just stroked him and I, I was really sad for a couple of days. So I struggle with that we can kill a beast. So these are the things that we have not been brought up with but I can go and... Buy a piece of meat from the butcher. What's you know? What's the difference? It's just that I didn't know that cow. Yeah. So and it's the same with the chickens. You can grow your own chickens. They grow really quick. You know, in eight to ten weeks, you've got a chicken that you can kill. And my mother, my mother's from the farm. She used to chop their heads off and hold them. And I'm like thinking, oh, that was my mother. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, it's almost there's this whole point of like I didn't go vegan because I'm concerned about animals and and I feel like I've got really high empathy. On anything like just mm. yesterday, I'm mowing the lawn. I've got a f- little fire going just to burn some little bits, pieces, bits and pieces, and the mower goes past. I don't hit the cane toad. The cane toad jumps, and I go no, oh. and jumps straight into the fire, <laughs> and it flipped on its back, and I'm I'm going, that thing's going through pain. Like I yeah. feel it. Um, oh yeah, I've run over a couple uh, by mistake with the mower. Yeah, it's like you don't mean to do it. You don't and mean to do cane toads. Um, yeah. There's ha- heaps of them, but they're still a living being, right? <laughs> The 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 latest um, vegan movie, which has some pretty big name players mm. talking in there, yep. they talk about the teeth and how our teeth haven't been mm. made to to be able to rip and tear flesh, and that that's a big reason of why mm. we should be vegan. Can we go back in history again? Okay, so there's a book out called Catching Fire by Rangahan. He's out of 
Harvard or Yale is one of those professors out of there. And he, um, there's actually a TED Talk too. Um, I can't remember the name of the TED Talk. It's fairly old. But we became cooktivores. He calls it cooktivores. So we began, they believe, as homo habilis. So cooking made us human. Yep. So Homo habilis, which is around 1.2 million years ago, so human around 400, 600,000 years ago, or um, what are we called? Homo sapien sapien. So Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo sapien, Homo sapien sapien. But 1.2, 3, 4 million years ago, give a couple of hundred thousand years, um, they, we, we started to use fire. And fire enabled us to cook our food. So we became cooked divorce. And it was the, the cooking of the food that enabled us to get more nutrition in and not have to be eating like most animals and eat now from the time you wake up till the time you go to bed. So we got more nutrition out of it through, through cooking meat and then throwing vegetables on. And it was cooking that enabled us to be able to eat food and that's why our incisors changed and things started to change because we weren't ripping. Right. We had cooked the meat or the vegetables or whatever and we were able to do that. So um, it was fire that made us human and then it was fire, then earth. So not earth, fire, water. So then we made clay pots, put the water in, put the meat in and it became more and more. You know when you slow cook a, a meat, mm. it's like falls off. You don't need incisors. Right. Then from water, it was fire, water, air. So then we started to bake. So instead of putting the water in, we put the lid on and we baked. And then it was earth where we started to ferment foods and preserve foods. So it's a brilliant book. Um, and it's it makes... It's the first time post that, because, you know, obviously you watch it. If yeah. You, if, if you watch that documentary and the one that preceded it as well, the, the one before that vegan-wise, and you don't go vegan for at least a day, yeah. there's something wrong with you, right? Because <laughs> you see it and you go, holy God. But then you start doing the research and looking into it. And Joe Rogan did, you know, both sides of yeah, this. Yeah, it was um, very And then pulled them both together as well. Mm, but that's I the first listen to that. Yeah, that's That was a, 20 minutes of arguing. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time that I've heard a reasonable argument around the teeth. Mm. Like, a, like that sounds and makes sense to me. Mm. But when none of them have actually ever said that and you brought it to the table, mm. it's pretty simple. It is very simple and it makes more sense. Like when I read Rangahan's book years and years ago and because I'm so interested in, you know, anthropology and, and, and how we did survive, because I feel the reason we've survived is because of what we've done. And there is evidence that we did fire 1.2 to 1.4 million years ago. There's evidence of that in digs. So it made sense to me why our teeth aren't in sizes is because we... We cooked. Mm. We, we, that's what we did. Um, also, when you look at um, meat versus plants, so the plants feed the microbiome, but the meats feed you. Mm. So the animal produce actually is feeding you. The plants are feeding the microbiome. So let's take a piece of lettuce. A piece of lettuce that is grown in the ground has soil bacteria on it. But because we're so scared of bacteria and things like that, we sanitise lettuce. So it's called a procedure it's not called an ingredient so all lettuce that you find in plastic usually these days if it's not organic it has something on it called nature seal so nature seal is a bunch of things that sanitize it and get rid of all the microbes 
those microbes on that lettuce allow us to digest that lettuce enough to get it to our microbes that then they all work on it together. Those microbes also feed our microbes. When you eat sanitized food, such as lettuce, and they're even doing it to rock melon and because they don't want listeria, because what they've done is by using Roundup on two-thirds of the population, or sorry, of the planet, we now have pathological microbes overtaking the good microbes in the soil. So that's why you see listeria outbreaks in cucumbers. You, this should never be happening. Crazy. Never should be happening. Mm. But it's because of our agricultural practices. So when you're eating sanitised lettuces, you're not digesting it. And that's why people sometimes <laughs> they can't even eat lettuce because it's sanitised. Yep. What I do is I go to my garden, I chop it, I barely wash it these days because the rain washes well, it. But then you, Throw if, you were, it. If, you're, if you're not on tank water, you'd be washing it with chlorine yes, anyway. Yes, you would be. And yeah. fluoride. Yeah, <clears> you <throat> would be. But because, yes, exactly, and then you're sanitising it anyway. Um, so this way, basically what I do is I just kind of throw it in. I pick it that night, throw it in the salad, I pick so my So do you herbs. pick a leaf off or the whole lettuce? Well, it depends on how many people I'm serving. Right. Yeah, yeah, but you will pick a leaf off. I will off, pick a leaf off. Yeah, if it's just me, mm. I will just go and pick what I want. So I'll usually pick a couple of different types of lettuces, mix them in together, oregano, um, marjoram, thyme, um, fennel. You know, I'll just pick a whole bunch of things, throw them all in together, and that's my mm. salad. It's it's easy. What does your business do? What is what? Changing habits. Oh, what does changing two? habits do? Mm. I I think foremost we are an education company. I have an unbelievable thirst for knowledge, and that thirst for knowledge is for me, first and foremost, so that I can be the best version of who I am. And then I share it with my family, and then I share it with my friends, and then whoever, whoever else wants to listen to me, it's there for you. But I, like my husband, he said to me the other day, you never, you never downtime, Cindy. You never just read a novel. You're just always, like at the moment I'm reading plague of corruption he says you need to downtime but I don't want to I love this this is this is my love it's what I love listening to it I love reading it I love learning I love going to the science articles I don't know it's just to me it's a passion and a love it's not hard work I've never heard um anyone say to a musician you just listen to too much music <laughs> I love, I'm gonna tell him that one <laughs> So oh, I love um, it. you do you do you have products as well? Mm, yeah. So first of all, we're education. Yep. So we have actually separated that from Changing Habits. It's called the Nutrition Academy. Right. You can still find it on Changing Habits, but that's a you know the incredible edible garden, the functional and the advanced nutrition course, the introduction to nutrition, the microbiome course. So we want to teach people about you know food. Um, and we have professionals who do those courses and we have people that have no idea about nutrition do mm -hmm. the courses and still do really well in it. So we do that. Then there's Changing Habits. And Changing Habits is programs, protocols. So if you come and you go, I know nothing about nutrition, I don't really know about it, I just need to lose weight, I've got an autoimmune disease or I've got allergies, I don't know what to eat, I don't know how to do this. So you would come and you would do one of our, pro our lifestyle programs. So one of the ones that I did is our bestseller, the one that I told you about where I lost nine kilos, never put it on again. That was 10 years ago. felt better than I've ever felt before. Yep. That's one of our programs, and that's called the Fat Loss Program. And then from those programs, I realised that we needed 
foods and products. So I we started with salt and seaweed, put them together because that's iodized salt with 84 minerals as opposed to three, which is in white iodized salt. And then it grew from there. So what sugars do I use? What supplements do I use? So I don't ever use a supplement that's done by a genetically modified microbe, like ascorbic acid or something like that. I won't do that. It's got to be food-based. So my vitamin C is camu camu or gubunji, you know, which is an Australian wild fruit Mm -hmm. that has 2,000... Oh, it's 400 times the amount of vitamin C that a, an orange will have. Um, so camu camu I will I have. I have green powders. So these green powders are like barley or um, broccoli sprouts that we've just dried and put into a powder. I never, ever, would I ever use white stevia or genetically modified stevia. It's whole stevia. Whole stevia is 38% protein. 38% protein. Yeah. Whole stevia. Not that genetically modified crap. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so you said you weren't going to write a book, but you did. <laughs> um, so I was doing a talk and I went up and I've known Cindy for years and I gave her a copy of my book. Um, actually, the, um, at the end of that talk, I don't know if you remember, I said, um, anyone who can come up and ask a question, I'll give them a free book. And so everyone was asking questions. It was a tiny house talk. And do you remember the last one? She came up and I had one book left and yeah. she said, can I have a book? And I went, well, that's a question or yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lab to table. Mm. Stop being a lab rat. Start making better choices for your table. Now, are you a book writer? I write continuously. Oh. I just I love writing. I um, yeah, I love writing, and a lot of it is just blogs because I don't want to put a book together. I mm. find it too hard. Yep. I find um, once I've written a hundred blogs, I'll then go, oh, that'll be together. a good book. <laughs> put them together. You know, that's how I do it. I don't sit down to write a book. So this is information about the food industry. It's not a diet per se, it's information about the food industry. So that when you are faced with 10 different tomato pastes, how do I pick the right one? When you are faced with bread, 50 varieties of bread, what's the right one? When you're faced with vegan concepts and you want to eat meat and you can eat this plastic fantastic meat, you can read the ingredients and know exactly what it is and how it's been made. When you're looking at a supplement, you know how that ascorbic acid is made. So it's it's as simple as I can make it, but I had to put some science in it because otherwise people are going, oh, they wouldn't whatever. do that, yeah, Cindy. Whatever. Surely yeah. they wouldn't do that. Well, what I've noticed lately, actually, um, and, you know, we've got a pretty um, big wholesale organic place just around the corner here, mm-hmm. I've noticed that um, there's two or three... Um, personal trainers that are taking their clients in oh. and actually showing them. Like, for you to be doing good shopping, these are the things you need. So they actually go through the whole store and go, so if you're going to buy that, or they'd say to them, you know, what what, what would you choose out of this rack? And they'd choose, and they go, okay, well, let's talk, at the, let's talk about the ingredients and what that's doing for you. It's a really interesting concept, of, yeah. which brings me to probably to um, my last question and a half. Where do you <laughs> see us all going with health? Um, and happiness, um, and is that the path you think we need to be on? Mm. Sadly, um, I'm seeing a vegan movement, and that will cause sickness, especially if you don't do veganism properly. Sadly, I do see it going that way. Sadly, I see um, genetically modified food additives becoming the norm, um, for the sheep, 
and I, I'm going to call them sheep because just following. they're just following what they're told by their government. So the government enacts policies, we act on them, and we are the result. And the result is the statistics. And I could, I can throw you the statistics from the 60s to now, and it's disgusting where we are. We are in an absolute state of chronic illness and ill health. And, and we started this podcast by me saying that I went and started to go down the rabbit holes and mm. people just didn't like it. They just no. they just want to follow. They want the magic pill. Yep, that's all they want. So the vaccine's the magic pill, not eating healthy food. Because for this COVID-19 thing, everybody says, oh, once we've got a vaccine, well, what about the healthy people who haven't been able, you know, like, so that's, that's the fight we're having here is, mm. but I eat healthy, why would I want that vaccine? You know, why would I want... And it's not even being tested. The biggest thing that gets me about um, COVID-corona and all that went on with that is that people developed an immunity Hmm. to the disease, Hmm. to the virus. Why do we need a vaccine? I know. know, Yes, I know there's vulnerable people in 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 the place where, especially the elderly... But I think I saw a statistic that 50% of the deaths in Europe were all in aged care facilities. So isn't there something going on? And, and, and look here what we go, eat. hospitals. And, you know, oh. um, I was listening to a podcast about this nurse who just could no longer work in aged care because, um, and Darren would know, and Rebecca, who works for us as well, she, they, they would both know that the food that they give them are the most unhealthy. Rebecca cooks her mother meals but can't get to her mother um, during COVID because of mm. what's going on. So... Mm. They're just more and more unhealthy and they're trying to prepare meals at $6 a person a day, a day. Mm-hmm. Look, it's bizarre, isn't it? It, it? Look, it is. And I know I'm involved in it too because my father's 91 and he's in, he's, you know, he can make his own food because he has a one-bedroom apartment, but he can also go to the cafeteria and I look at the food in the cafeteria That's and I just, I just go, you know, I'm happy to pay $100 more a week for him to have better meals, but they just don't do that. So we we take him out and we you know we give him the food and he gets out. If physically he's incredible. He'll walk a mountain, a hill, complain the whole way, but he <laughs> will do it. You know he is a most incredibly fit, amazing, and they can't stand it because all the rest of like job. this, mm. and they they bring my fa- my brother up and they go, come and get your father. He needs to go for a walk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> None of them get walked, only yeah, only he gets walked. All right. Website. Oh, changinghabits.com.au. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for hanging around the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and pulled out plenty of information that'll help you move forward. If you want to find out or listen to more podcasts, please subscribe, follow us on social media, or go to ianugate.com.au to find out much more about what we do. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope we've succeeded in our goal to inspire and challenge you. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Small Talk Big Ideas with Ian Ugarte.